Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Uh, green flag is definitely it. we got a whole bunch of really cool stuff going on in today's show. I'm going to talk cars for the next 120 minutes. Our auto expert, uh, we get to talk to Jim uh, Owen in a little while about some new colors for the Ford GT and really just recap ourselves about the Ford GT. Jerry uh, Swan is going to join us from Rolls-Royce to talk about what happened at Pebble Beach. Jason Fenske, the huge YouTube star from Engineering Explained, going to join us to talk about Formula E. And we just spent uh, a few days together in Sweden uh, driving the new Lexus UX. Also, uh, Anton Wallman going to join us. And uh, he's going to talk about uh, what's going on in the car world for business-wise. And don't forget, Grand Prix also uh, happened in Portland. And we are going to talk to uh, Jerry Jensen about the Grand Prix. Megan's in the studio. Hi, Megan. Hi. Uh, we were on the same events this week, but not. Or last week, but not. Yeah, I saw you for an hour in California. Right. And I almost saw you in Utah. Yeah, we... Uh, My you flight came got in, rerouted. You, you came in the wave of the vehicle testing after me. So it was a Hyundai Santa Fe in uh, Park City, Utah, and the Honda Pilot and sort of the HRV in uh, in L.A., Except we didn't get to drive the HRV. Yeah, my wave didn't get to... No, we didn't either. We didn't even sit in it. They couldn't get them up from the factory in time. So we had to look at it. We sat in it, tasted it, smelt it, played with it. I couldn't didn't drive smell it. it. You didn't? No. Oh, you missed out. It was... It was How did it smell? Good. Okay. For a, Yeah, good for a small SUV. Really smelled good. Uh, Especially the small SUV doesn't smell that good. <laughs> I've never really ranked how cars smell, to be honest with you. I like to smell. I like to uh, always, you know, me a bit of a comedian um, on the side. Like when I talk about cars with people, I like to talk about how they taste. Um, you know, and people always look at me like, what? <laughs> I just say, yeah, have you tasted? Have you tasted the new GT and the new colors? Because it tastes uh, really good. Let's get uh, to our first guest because uh, he is joining us on the phone to talk about the new uh, Ford GT. Uh, he is here. Uh, Jerry um, is Owen is uh, Jerry uh, Spawn is coming up in Rolls Royce. But first of all, Jim Owen is joining us. Uh, Jim, you got some new colors for that fabulous Ford sports car that you have. Well, good afternoon, uh, Nick and Megan. I heard you happen to be talking a little bit about Utah. And um, if you're ever out there again, you need to come out to our Ford Performance Racing School out there Ooh. where you could actually drive. So like every purchaser of an ST, an RS, a GT350, or a Raptor gets an opportunity included in the purchase price to go out to the uh, Utah Motorsports Campus and the Ford Performance Racing School and learn how to uh, drive your vehicle effectively in a safe manner and learn all about the engineering prowess of the men and women of Ford Performance. So wow. next time you're out there in Utah, make sure you know, you know, pop over. We'll, we'll hook you up with Dan and the guys out there. It's a, it's a great way to see all the engineering that goes into our vehicles. Now, do I have to buy one or is there a way I can drive that Ford GT without buying one? Well, so the Ford GT one, we haven't started the classes yet, okay. and, and um, I appreciate you having me on here for this. Um, yeah, we've launched our heritage. We were out at Pebble as well. I heard you were down there at Pebble Beach yep. um, and talking to people down there. Um, and we unveiled our heritage edition that pays tribute and homage to the golf cars. 
Um, if you think about it, you know, initially golf started with that dark blue and orange. Um, and then when, you know, Carol and his merry band of hot rodders and Henry Ford II decided to go over and take on Ferrari and beat them, um, we had winners in 66, 67, 68, and 69. And in 68, the winner, chassis 1075, was that beautiful blue and orange that now you can't look at that car without thinking about, you know, racing and performance. And we like to think the old GT40 program and, you know, the 2019 Ford GT. It's uh, this new color, which is what we uh, affectionately know as the golf colors, the orange and blue. Is that just available for 19 and 20? Yeah, so what we did is um, each year, so we did, you know, the number two, the black number two for the 66 win, and that was the year we finished one, two, and three. Um, shouldn't have been a different color if you're like a follower of the history buff. Remember, they all three finished at the same time, right. um, and they took, the sanctioning body took the car that finished, that started the farthest away which was the black number two. So we did that for the 17 model. Right. Uh, we did the All-American team, the red with the white, um, for the 67 winner. And then the 68 and 69 winners was the same car. They show up as different numbers, you know, number nine and 68. And then it raced as the number six and 69. But, yeah, we'll offer it those two years uh, to pay homage to that wonderful time in racing history. Can you get those numbers on the side now? So you can, so we, we did a, two different things, and a lot of people are asking us about it. We did one without the numbers on the side at all, and that was so, you know, your really historically accurate people would be able to put the white rondelle with the black number on it. Right. Um, but we do offer an exposed carbon fiber with a ghosted number. I mean, it looks phenomenal, but mm. it's not truly... It, it, it's not truly what you remember from, you know, chassis 1075, which we had at Pebble, you know, has that big white rondelle with the black number. Um, you can get it, but it's exposed carbon fiber with a ghosted number. It's beautiful, um, but you can also get it without, so you can put your white rondelle with the black number on it. Uh, and, and these cars, can you option them out just apart from these uh, cool colors for 2019? Uh, can, you, can you put extras on them, or are they all come, the GT all comes very standard or not? Yeah, it pretty much comes standard with the heritage package, like the wheels, the interior, exterior, that's all pretty much the same. Um, you can get the titanium exhaust on it, um, which is a little bit lighter weight. Um, and it looks a little bit different visually, but, you know, other than that, you're pretty much, well, you can get the titanium lug nuts. Um, you can get the six point racing harness. Um, you can get some car covers, but other than that, it's pretty much a straight package trying to pay homage to the, you know, 1968 winner, um, at Pebble, it was really cool. I don't know if you made it out at Laguna, um, where they do the motorsports reunion and we had the chassis 1075. We had a... 2006 heritage and we had the 19 and we did laps on the corkscrew and we've got video of it and it's pretty cool oh yeah i was out there i i watched it all happen it was uh it was a bunch of fun you know when you first uh jim when you first launched the the new gt the waiting list was super long for these vehicles and four hundred fifty thousand dollars isn't something that everybody was going to be affording uh, the likelihood of getting one if I wanted one in these new golf colors, how much How much is that going to be months-wise for me to wait? Well, so what we're doing, we and, and Nick, I don't know how if you 
familiar with it, but what we, we did is we opened up an application, right? Globally, uh, where we distribute the vehicle, you know, how could you rationally distribute, you know, basically a car that we can build one a day of across 10,000 dealers. So we put out an application process that we wanted to identify those people who use the cars. You know, we can't have it hermetically sealed in a Ziploc plastic baggie and put into a vault never to be seen by human eyes again. Right. So we did an application. What kind of we questions are on about, the application? Yeah, what sort of questions well, were you asking people? Yeah, it's it, it, if you did it and you and I helped develop it, if you did the complete one, it could take you up to a couple of hours. Um, we asked about your Ford ownership, your 0506 Ford GT experience, or if you were one of the 109 Ford GT40s that existed in the 60s, your experience there, your racing. Do you do things with charity with surrounding vehicles? Uh, what type of collection do you have? Um, what kind of racing licenses do you have? What events have you attended with your vehicles? Um, do you do you use your vehicle for charity purposes? Um, in-depth questions to try to get to the heart of the people that you know really will share this car and you know the engineering prowess of the men and women at Ford Performance, so that they could actually enjoy the car instead of sitting in a museum. Now we're opening the application again. Um, we about 10% of the applicants were selected initially. Um, that will carry us through the end of the 19 model year. Um, and then this next application will be for the remaining production. So, so yeah, you could get the 20 version of it, if, oh. but you wouldn't be able to get the 19. Before we run out of time uh, in this segment, because we're coming up against a commercial break, tell us uh, exactly how we can uh, find out about how we can get a, get one now. Do you still have to fill out the application? Yep, you'll be able to fill out the application in the fourth quarter of this year. We're targeting hopefully that first of November. Um, but you can go to FordGT.com and uh, be able to fill out the application at that point in time, Nick. Jim, thanks for joining us today on the show. We, uh, of course, Megan's already there. Are you filling out one? Megan's filling out one already. Yeah, um, but I'm not going to get one. <laughs> oh, all right. Still more to come. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. I am Nick Miles. Keep listening. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. Talking cars here on uh, our auto expert. Megan is in the studio and our intern Noah as well, who is a man of many words. Oh, no, mostly facial expressions. Uh, when I was at uh, Pebble Beach this week, uh, I had the honor of taking part in some uh, beautiful events put on by the Rolls-Royce Motor Car Company. And uh, Jerry is joining us on the phone from Rolls-Royce. Uh, it was quite a huge party that you put on this week, wasn't it? Well, Nick, yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me back on. It was a spectacular celebration of motor cars. And we really uh, we were honored that you would be a part of it. You, um, yeah, it was just it was a wonderful celebration of bespoke creations that we brought out for Pebble Beach. And, uh, you know, for me personally and uh, for us as a brand, it was it was a, absolutely fabulous to have these 
beautiful creations be the talk of Pebble Beach. It was, uh, I can only liken it, Jerry, to a fashion show from New York because you basically had a runway, which was a driveway, and a stage and uh, sort of an audience standing at the side of this runway and the cars would come down the runway and then drive off from the other end in the, in the spotlight. I mean, it was the closest thing I've ever seen to a fashion show. I think it was, that's a good analogy. I think, Nick, it was a wonderful marriage of a traditional automotive concours with that just really love for glamour in California. So it did have a fashion show feel. It had a concours feel. Uh, but it was it was very exciting. It, you know, the, um, for your listeners, you know, we had lights, we had music, and we had the dulcet tones of Nick Miles <laughs> to shepherd everything around. Shepherd each of these twelve. I think we had twelve to fourteen uh, bespoke motor cars every night, and uh, it, it was it was really it was very exciting. What well, the, the most exciting thing was to watch the faces of Rolls Royce collectors as motor cars that weren't theirs came by. Right. And it was just nice to see that little bit of covetous, uh, covetousness in their eye. <laughs> uh, what, what, what I think was, there's two things that really were interesting for me. One was sort of not on the car scene. Well, one, one of the things was, so this is basically the rich and the famous. Uh, there was people... Uh, in the crowd, like uh, Ben Sloss, who is the vice president of Google, he got his new car. Uh, Michael Fuchs got his new car, his new bespoke Rolls Royce. Several other Rolls Royces were handed to owners that day, specially made ones. And these are like one-of-a-kind cars that you guys have been designing for years. So the crowd is full of big names and famous people from all over the world. And I had prepared because I knew Jerry had asked me for a few weeks whether I was going to be emceeing this Rolls-Royce party, and I'd said, yes, I prepared. I'd gone out and got myself a nice new jacket. It was a sort of cold corduroy paisley uh, black-on-black jacket. And the first night, this guy came up to me, and he's just getting in a car and leaving at the end of the night. He goes, hey, I designed that jacket. <laughs> he got in the car oh, and really? left. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I mean, the people you run into, the designer of the clothes I was wearing actually was there. The other thing that super impressed me was, and uh, and, and sort of, I, I don't know if, if many people know me from TV, but you don't usually see me uh, standing up on TV. A lot of times I'm sitting behind a desk. So you have no idea that I'm actually only five foot four. Well, Rolls Royce were good enough to have a rock for me to stand on so I could see everything <laughs> because everybody there is, uh, you know, um, I think the only person that's uh, not hugely taller than, I'm, you know, uh, Pedro uh, Moto, who was the president at the time, is way taller than me. Jerry's way taller than me. Uh, even, uh, um, uh, Tolston, uh, um, Tolston, yeah, Tolston is is higher than I, uh, taller than I am. So everybody's pretty much taller than I am. But at the same time, uh, Jerry's standing next to me, and when and walking up and down next to me, and what I found super surprising was before we'd even finished the first night show, some somebody had bought three of the cars just in the middle of the show. Yeah. Just that, isn't that crazy, Jerry? It's, you know, and that's the wonderful thing about collectors. And this was a very, very special collection. And as they came in, as if you recall, Nick, you know, we had one of the, one of the black badge Dawns we had on display was the last one available uh, in North America. Adamas, right? Saturday night. Yes, the Adamas. It was no longer available by Friday. Yeah. Saturday. Um, and that's, that's what Pebble Beach is about. It's, it is, um, 
you know, yes, these are these are very wealthy people. A lot of them are famous, but these these are the art collectors of the car world. I mean, these are people that go to Pebble Beach to add to their collections. They add to Rolls Royces. What was really exciting for me, as you mentioned, a couple names, whether it's uh, Ben Sloss um, or. Um, you know, we delivered a car to George Dow of Dow Vineyards uh, that day. Um, David Lee, um, who's a who's a big collector out of uh, California, he's a jeweler. Um, when we see these new collectors coming to Rolls Royce, they're they're being drawn there by the new cars. A lot of these guys uh, and women have had very let's just say Italian stables. I think if you if you if you understand my drift, are now looking going, wow, these are really really amazing, cool. Rolls Royces, they've got some guts and they're just wonderful to drive and ride in. So it's it's fun to have them come there. They see it, they want it. That's why they come there. You know, some people go to art shows um, and buy um, paintings and sculptures, watches, or what it may be. People come to Pebble Beach to collect cars. You know, these guys are real collectors because nobody asked any prices. They were just like, I want it. There was the price was the most immaterial thing of these cars. It was unbelievable. They were just, they're not, I want it, I'm, I'm having it. You know, three cars because I saw them on a, on a Concorde display. That, that and, and you want them because there's only three, and that's the only set there is. You said it every night. You'll never see these collections again, and that's, that's what defines a Rolls Royce is they're one of one or one of three. This is a, this is a set. This isn't, uh, you know, um, it's not a car. It's, it's, a, it's a commission. Jerry, um, before we hit and uh, run into the news, tell me if somebody's interested in a bespoke Rolls-Royce, how do they go about it? Well, if you're, if you're interested in a bespoke motor car, you should, the first thing you should do is visit your local Rolls-Royce uh, dealer. We have 37 dealers in the U.S. Um, you can call, uh, you can go to the Rolls-Royce motorcars-usa.com website to find your nearest dealer. That's the best thing to do is to, to visit your dealer. We have bespoke lounges in every single dealer where you can go through leather, um, no, wood, it, metal. Paint, uh, it sounds amazing. Uh, Jerry, got to hit the news. Jerry from Rolls-Royce. It was amazing to see that collection. This is our auto expert. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Of course, it is a car day today, National Car Day. It every, is? every time I'm on the radio, it's National oh. Car Day. Just letting you know. <laughs> uh, National uh, Car Day. We're talking about cars for the next uh, hour and a half. Uh, our auto expert, Megan, is in the studio along with intern Noah, Chatterbox Noah. We can't keep quiet. Um, <laughs> Noah, what was you just got your first car? You just got your first drive. You got your driver's license. By the way, your mum called me when you got your driver's license and told me how excited she was. Oh, really? Yeah. Because uh, she means she didn't have to drive the kids around. <laughs> I know. I was super excited. Uh, wait. Now people know that you're Noah's mom. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, the cat's out of the bag now. Um, your first car, what did you get? A 2002 Ford Explorer. Pretty indestructible, I have to say. I mean, <laughs> yeah, have, you, have you had any... Megan, cover your ears. I bought that car. Co cover your ears. When he was like six months old. <laughs> now really? it's his. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So the car's as old as you are. I bet yeah. it was manufactured before you were born. Probably. How does that feel? Uh, it's kind of a weird thought, but I guess I'm doing a little bit better than it is. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd hope so. You're in a better condition than the car. Uh, the Ford Explorer is pretty indestructible, I have to tell you. Yeah. Is it a two-wheel or a four-wheel drive? 
Two. Oh, is it a two door? No, it's a four door. Okay, good. In my defense, two door, two wheel drives one not the best. We lived in Mississippi. I never thought we'd need a four wheel drive car, and then the next year we got sent to Oregon. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and then you then you needed an all wheel drive. Every car. time we get this car stuck up on the mountain, people like mock mock me and like what kind of what kind of person wouldn't buy a four wheel drive SUV <laughs> in Oregon? And I'm just like. Just uh, so judgy. People are judgy when you don't. Uh, well, people in the Northwest are very judgy. When in Mississippi, you don't, you don't need a four-wheel drive car. No, you don't, because it's below the Mason-Dixon line. Hey, um, I want to introduce you guys to uh, one of my friends and a guy who's like way more. In, he's way more intelligent than we will ever ever be. Uh, Jason Fansky has a channel on YouTube called Engineering Explained. And uh, he's killing it right now with millions and millions of views, and he's super intelligent. How do you like that intro, Jason? That was a pretty fantastic introduction. I also liked that every day's National Car Day, because I, too, like cars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else is there in life? Cars, foods, dogs, <laughs> pretty much covers it, right? That's, that's my Twitter bio. It's just I like cars, and it's been that way for probably six years now. So, yeah, it sums it up. How did you um, become so big on YouTube? What's the secret to your source, Jason? <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's a good secret. Like, some people just get lucky, and I continued to do the same thing for, for quite a while. So over the past seven years, I've just kind of continued to post content. The whole idea is to make it easy to understand. The format is very simple. It's generally me standing in front of a whiteboard saying, here's how a turbocharger works. Here's how a car engine works. Here's how a suspension works. That kind of thing that I think a lot of people are curious about, about their cars, uh, but don't necessarily have access to a great description of how it works. So that's, that's my plan is to make it easy to understand, take out some of the intimidation around cars. Engineering for, for people who are less brainy than you. Is <laughs> hopefully yeah. Uh, I've kind of gone downhill recently. Like I'm, I'm getting too deep. I need to back back out and uh, and see the bigger picture again. Uh, I think you're doing fine. I mean, you've got a bazillion <laughs> bazillion uh, you know viewers uh, online. Hey, this is the one thing I still have trouble with, and we've tried to do this with you, explaining how what horsepower is. Because I'm so confused. It's something to do with a well and a pulley and a kilogram block, and isn't it? What? Yeah, so I think, I think the well and the pulley and the horse isn't, isn't all that useful to kind of try and picture what it means. Basically, uh, horsepower is how fast you can move an object from one spot to another. So moving an object from one spot to another is work, and then how fast you do it is power. So how fast you can move a car from one spot to another spot is how much power it has. But a horse power isn't really a horse, is it? <laughs> I don't think it, it perfectly equates to one horse. I think a horse, generally speaking, when in good health, has more than one horsepower, yes. And yet Usain Bolt has three horsepower. Is that yeah, true? But I yeah, but I think most horses would be I think most horses would be faster than Usain Bolt. I know, but it's strange. Well, maybe a Shetland Pony wouldn't. But uh, it's strange fast. to think Usain Bolt supposedly has three horsepower when he's running at a full sprint. 
So yeah, that, I haven't seen them on a dyno, so I can't confirm it. But I have heard that. <laughs> Let's put it. On a what? A dyno. That's what you test cars on. Oh. Like a dyno. We want to see Usain Bolt on a dyno. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, our trip to Sweden. How was that for you, by the way? We went to drive the new Lexus UX in Sweden, which was strange because before we left, I asked, "Why are we going to Sweden to test drive a luxury Japanese car?" And I was told uh, because the guy who was arranging the trip loved ABBA. <laughs> that seems like a good reason to me. <laughs> I, I, I find yeah, we did get to visit the Abba Museum. the The driving is under embargo until September twelfth, but uh, it was cool to go to Sweden. I'd never been there before, and it's a neat, like dense, very dense city. That's a bunch of little pockets of buildings on islands. Uh, it was it was a cool place to check it out. What I loved, Jason, was there was wagons as far as the eye could see. Yes. Everyone had a wagon. It's that to me makes me so happy, because wagons are like they're they're SUVs for cool people. No, they're not. That is not true. <laughs> they are. They are. It is true. It is. If everyone, if everyone purely thought logically about their car purchase, ninety nine percent of people would just drive wagons. No. See? Yes. Logic. <laughs> Jason's the engineer. He doesn't have emotions. He doesn't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I never smile. <laughs> what Aww. I I love about uh, uh, what I love about Jason is uh, not only is he like sort of an adult version of Justin Bieber, um, but he does karate kicks <laughs> as well. Are you a good singer? <laughs> yeah, we, he is a good singer because Jason and I have done karaoke together. Hmm. What do we sing? Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Karaoke. Yeah. I'm made of this. Uh, that was a fun night. Uh, we have those AVA awards coming up. Jason, I'm going to hold you on the phone for a second because uh, no I want I want to I want to talk more about Sweden and I want to talk more about cars. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue with Jason Fenske from Engineering Explained. Plus, we still have those uh, cool races going on at uh, the, the Grand Prix stuff going on in Portland, and Anton Wallman going to join us. That's all coming up as our auto expert continues. Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our Auto Expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Oh, it is the weekend, and uh, of course, talking cars, which is what we do the best. Uh, Jason Fenske is on the phone with us. Jason, so uh, you have been doing an awful lot with Formula E, um, because this is kind of the new cool... This is the thing the cool kids are doing, right, Formula E? Formula E is what the cool kids are doing. Actually, I think as of next season, so next season will be season five, It'll have the most manufacturer support of any racing series, meaning the most car manufacturers are all in this one racing series. So, yeah, all the auto manufacturers are getting pretty into it. What's the rules? Just basically it has to have an electric motor, or is it as complicated as F1? Uh, it isn't yet as complicated as F1, and part of that it was to initially keep the cost low. So really the difference between, uh, if you were going to compare them directly, it is fully electric, but the only parts that you can change in Formula E are parts that will actually have a benefit for electric cars. So, for example, you know, the front suspension, the aero package, uh, the chassis itself, 
all of those are basically locked in. Everyone gets the same vehicle. But then what's behind the battery pack, that's opened up. So the motor, the transmission, the inverters, uh, those kind of things, the, the differentials, those are open to the teams so they can make something as efficient as possible and try to get their car to go further using less energy than everyone else. What happens if you run out? of energy before the end of the race you just you leave, lose. The, leave the car on the side of the road i don't know what do you do yeah i mean so that's what the drivers are actually battling with so they have to make sure that they don't use all of the energy if they do run out then yeah they're just going to sit there and i think they actually do put in a small reserve so that if they hit zero then they can technically drive to the pits but they're out of the race at that point oh does that happen uh, I don't think it usually does. I mean, the engineers are monitoring the energy level of the battery throughout the entire race. So if you're using too much energy, they're going to give you ways to strategize locations on the track where you can use less energy, perhaps tune the regen uh, during braking so that you make sure that you make it to the end of the race. Now, I've never, been, inv- smart guys. I've never been invited to a Formula E race, and I've never uh, actually witnessed one. But is it weird having cars go hundreds of miles an hour around in front of you without making any noise? No sound. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that part is strange. It is it is unique, and they're also limited in their sound that they can produce. So there, I think I believe it's an eighty-two decibel limit. I'm not positive on that, but there is a limit to it, and I think that's kind of a logical thing because electric motors, when extremely loud, it's a pretty harsh noise. Uh, so it is interesting. But another thing that I think about the racing that makes it uh, interesting to watch, you know, you don't necessarily have that sound element. But the cars are very mechanically grip-based. So in Formula One, aerodynamics is king, and it's all about having the, more, the most downforce. So if you get a tiny little bit of your wing that snaps off, you know, you're basically out of the race and you have to go into the pits and get a new wing put on. Whereas in Formula E, it's not nearly as aerodynamic and uh, dependent. And so let's say you smash your wing off, well, you can just keep racing. And so as a result, you tend to see a bit of contact in Formula E because oh. the consequences aren't necessarily as high as they are in other forms of racing. Who would have believed that uh, the, the sort of the most environmental, democratic-style <laughs> race would be so physical? Uh, yes, it's, there's quite a bit of contact in the races. And what's, what's funny about it is you'll watch it happen, and you'll think, oh, surely this guy's out, and then he'll just maintain pace. Uh, so it's pretty interesting to see, you know, the, the aerodynamic effects of, of the cars are, are pretty minimal. Do, do the drivers use hand gestures with each other? <laughs> I'm sure they do from time to time. You know, everything's clean. <laughs> that that uh, that's kind of makes me laugh thinking about that. Uh, let's let's jump back to a conversation we started in the last uh, hour, which were in the last segment, which was about uh, uh, Sweden. So uh, we went to Sweden to drive the what is technically, and we can't talk about the driving, but we can talk about the vehicle. Is the smallest and least expensive uh, Lexus that's on on the road today. But interestingly enough, uh, they flew us out there, and they actually took us to Sweden to drive this vehicle because uh, Sweden, they were allowed to drive pre-production vehicles, plus this vehicle is actually made for Europe. And this is, is this, I think this might be the first time that Lexus, which is primarily an American car brand, even though they're owned by the Japanese, they're not for sale in every country in the world, and their biggest market is, is the United States. Is this the first time they've made a car for Europe? 
Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but it definitely, America isn't the number one priority with this vehicle. Uh, I think we're like third or fourth on the list. So it is interesting that it wasn't necessarily designed entirely for our market. I think, uh, for, for my experience with this vehicle is the size is perfect for the millennials because uh, I see a lot of people buying, uh, new, new, uh, the little Buicks and those type of cars getting into them. So a lot of people want luxury SUVs. They want the smaller ones for millennial city living. Um, yeah, Lexus really haven't had anything to play in that space with. Yeah, and it's also pretty cool. I mean, they've packed, I think uh, one of the things, you know, perhaps that is defining of the younger generation is still caring about fuel economy. And Lexus has packed a super efficient drivetrain into this vehicle. Uh, so can't say what the fuel economy numbers are, but, uh, you know, they've got cool technology with this dynamic force engine and as well as the CVT, which actually has an individual gear just for starting from a stop and then it switches over to a CVT for better fuel economy. And one of the things that people complain about with the CVT is the fact that it just gets more and more like a loud hairdryer the faster you drive it. Yep. Yeah, and, and one of the things they're kind of trying to eliminate with that first gear is it takes out the spongy feel when you start from a stop. So when you're at that stoplight and you mash the pedal, it's going to actually have a physical gear that's propelling you forward rather than using that belt, rather than that push-belt method. Uh, so from the initial acceleration, you'll have an improved feel. I have, I have this problem with these cars which have a lighter horsepower in the engine that, uh, you know, I'm used to driving big American sedans or big American SUVs. And so when I, you know, I step on it, I want it to go. And so what ends up happening is I step on it more and I tend to jam the pedal to the yep. floor, pulling away from the light. And then the fuel economy goes out of the window. Yeah. Well, I, I am used to, I drive a 2016 Subaru Crosstrek, so I'm quite used to having no power at all. Uh, so the, <laughs> the Lexus actually has a bit more. <laughs> That's not yeah, the only car in your stable, is it? It's true. It's true. It's not. I have a supercharged F2000. It's a little quicker than the Crosstrek. Yeah. Yeah, you see, he's, he's hiding his cool cars from us and telling us, <laughs> telling us how green and environmentally friendly he is. Uh, you I was trying to, to relate with the millennials. But <laughs> the I, I asked Noah, who's our intern, I asked him, uh, you know, what, what do the millennials want to hear on the show? And he just said something funny. <laughs> and, and so you chose someone which as you stated earlier has no emotions and no person <laughs> no because because we already got a break actually uh, we got a, a phone call in the break with someone telling me that uh, they thought you had a wonderful personality that's just what I'd relate oh, I thought they were talking about me no no they were talking yeah, about Jason up um, on the resort, the mountain and Mount Hood this week, uh, you're heading up with the other top TV and video and YouTubers to uh, partake in the Performance Car and SUV of the Year Awards. Um, and I sent you the list of cars. What, what were you most excited to be driving up there? Oh, man, yeah, we've got some really cool stuff that's going to be there. So I've actually never driven any Maserati ever, and we have two. So I'm excited about that. Uh, because I'd simply never stepped into that brand before. Uh, we've got the Dodge Red Eye, which will be super exciting. And I think it's pretty wild also that we're going to have a McLaren 720S there. Uh, so those should be pretty special things to drive. I'm actually looking forward to the M5 as well. Um, because yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, that's kind of the, I guess, the staple of sports sedans, right? The M5 is probably what everybody measures everything against. 
Yes, and also we've got the Mustang Bullet coming, which is exciting. I think Ford has done an awesome job with the 2018 Mustang, so I'm excited to try out, you know, uh, the latest and greatest version of that, which is they kind of souped up a little bit the Mustang into the Bullet, so that should be also pretty fun to drive. We talked, uh, I'm talking to Jason Fenske from Engineering Explained, we talked a little bit about, uh, at the beginning of the show, about the noise of uh, F1, uh, of the... Um, you know the E Formula E cars Formula versus e cars, yeah. yeah versus a regular like F1 car or something. Uh, it, interestingly enough, that Mustang Bullet has huge sound to it. Like it's probably the favorite thing um, I would say about the car for me. I mean, definitely for me. But the interesting one is I don't know if you've had a chance to drive the Jaguar I Pace yet, uh, which is their electric SUV. And the thing about that is they realized they had to have some kind of sound, but they put a sound of a spaceship in it instead. They had Hollywood Hollywood do that, which I thought was a, a stroke of genius. So is it like an Easter egg, or is what it is, always happening? It's always happening. So when you accelerate, it, it goes like instead of like you know a car sound, going, it goes like. It's so cool. Uh, we see a lot of people like fake the sound of like engines in their cars. You know, Ford does it, yeah. BMW does it, and they went, "Well, we're going to fake a sound. Let's at least make it sound like a Hollywood movie." Which <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's. it's I didn't realize that. It's the coolest thing oh, about the Ford. car. Really, Ford with the Mustang. Yeah, is it the coolest thing? I feel like that thing's probably pretty quick. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like a zero to 60 in, I think, like something like four seconds. It's ridiculous. And yeah. I drove it down a river, a river, like a You're ten, not supposed ten to drive inches. in a river. Yeah. You, it, they had made it in <laughs> Portugal. They, they'd bribed the government so we could drive down a river. And we did that. We did off-roading. We did rally-style off-roading in it. Uh, we did highway driving. I mean, I, to be honest with you, it would be the best uh, $90,000 I spent if I bought the top of the line one, seventy five to get into the base one. It's feel free to buy me one now. Go on, Jason. Did they have you driving in a river to show that the electric cars in water isn't bad or something? Yeah, I mean, it's just capability. I mean, it was all about capability. I mean, they're for the sister company, the Land Rover. They wanted to show that the, the I Pace Jaguar I Pace could do a great job, and it was. I mean, it was just stupidly good. Um, I, I've. I guess against the Model X, it basically crushed the Model X in pretty much everything. I, I just can't understand. I mean, there's so many new electric cars coming. I couldn't, just couldn't, couldn't understand that, why people would ever consider anything else against this. And as the new ones come out, it's going to be really awesome. That's because you're, you're British, Nick. <laughs> that is true. And uh, strangely <laughs> enough, I seem to favor British cars. Jason, where can people uh, see more Jason Fenske and see the Karate Kick? Where can they go and see that? Oh, the karate kick's hard to find, but you can find more Engineering Explained. You can probably just Google Engineering Explained, and that's probably easy enough. If you want to go on YouTube and search for Engineering Explained, probably we'll get there faster. But yeah, searching Engineering Explained should hopefully point you in the right direction. And Jason's so cool, he even has his own sweatshirts to say Engineering Explained, which I, you know. I do. It's not that cool. People request it every now and then, so I said, yeah, I'll make them. And and that's how most people, the guys from the ice fishing, that's how they made all their money. Not on the TV show, but on the merchandising. So, you know, that, that's oh, interesting. You watch ice fishing? No. I oh. just know that as a, a random fact I can tell people on the radio when, you know, when we're coming up to the news. Uh, Jason Fenske, you're my favorite, and uh, I can't wait to see you next week. We're going to have so much fun. And thanks for being so nice to me and sitting next to me at dinner in Sweden. So, Engineering oh, Explained. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Engineering Explained. Uh, Jason to come. Uh, so I just killed that by accident. I didn't mean to hang up on him. Uh, <laughs> coming up to the news, more Our Auto Expert, next.
There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. Uh, live in the studio with Megan. Today, talking cars. Another hour of uh, cool stuff. The Grand, the Grand Prix races uh, happened in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the first time in ooh, millions of, uh, quite a long time, not millions of years. I thought it was the first time ever. No, they had them back uh, about 10 years ago. Oh, I did not know that. And they are back again. Uh, everybody's really happy to have Grand Prix races back. Um, like, uh, we drove very fast in a car together recently, didn't we? We did. Uh, the track hawk, the Jeep track hawk. Remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Megan <laughs> is sitting in the back seat with two kids. I'm in the front with Noah. And Megan's leaning forward and showing me pictures of... What were you showing cows, me pictures of? Pictures cows. of cows. Um, because you have a favorite cow? <laughs> yes, that's true. What did you choose what? The Belgian blue cow. Yes, very strange. Look very, it up. They're weird. It's nearly as muscular as me. And the, the Belgian blue cow, you're showing me pictures of that. And then I floored the car, and what happened? I flew back. <laughs> I lost my phone. Zero to 60 in I three may point, have screamed. <laughs> I mean, we're in a seconds. neighborhood. I just didn't expect it. Uh, we were? Does it no, have a special we, button so you can no. really, like, launch it? No. no? It's you like just every, it. every Tom, Dick, and Harry can do, uh, do the race launch in that. Oh. Basically, put your foot on the brake, take it to 2,000 RPMs, let off the brake, and watch the track court go 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds. Woo-hoo! I feel like I should have seen it coming, but I was just so focused <laughs> on was, showing you those cows. <laughs> you were so cowed out. You didn't realize you were just about to take <laughs> off. Uh, that was like uh, one of my funnest times ever. You, uh, What do you think of that new Hyundai Santa Fe? Oh, I liked it. You know what? I was really surprised. So I haven't been on a Hyundai since the 90s. So All right. I'm they not, changed quite a bit, haven't they? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, They're, it turns out they're winning all kinds of safety awards. Yep. And I yep. mean, it was a really like the interior was really beautiful. The lady that uh, designed it, I can't remember um, her name is, escapes me at the moment, but just really interesting interior details. Uh, I noticed too something which is really cool, which is that new ultrasonic uh, sensor, which is in the back seats. Oh, that's huge for you because you're a pet owner. Yes, and you're. Your mom, you have kids, so if you accidentally to leave, leave let's say, Jonah in, in the car in the back. And so what it does is senses whether something's in the back seat and whether it's moving. So what happens is you get out the car and you lock it. And if it senses that something's already in the back seat with these uh, sensors and, and for ultrasonic sensors. For up to 24 sensors, hours after you lock the car. Yeah, it does car. it for 24 hours. But if it senses it, it'll, it'll flash on the center console that, you know, you're... You left something, beep the horn, flash the lights, and then if you still don't open the back seat and let out the pet or the 11-year-old, what it will do is then it will send a, a text to your phone. And an email. And an email to say via Blue Link, and eventually it will be able to call 911, by the way. Oh, that's um, amazing. And so the, the likelihood of this happening, like horrible accidents with pets being left in cars or uh, kids being left in cars, hopefully if you own a Hyundai Santa Fe, will go to zero. Did you? I, one thing I noticed too that they've done with that, which I thought was pretty unbelievable, is they have uh, the you know child locks. Normally, we have to open the back door, and the child locks are on the inside of the door frame. Mm-hmm. So you have to switch the switch from one side to the other. Never used to have labels on them, right? Now they have labels to which side is locked and which isn't. Uh-huh. Well, now with the Hyundai Santa Fe, the child locks are operated from a button in the center console, so you can activate them and deactivate them from that button. Yeah, I mean. 
Yeah. Go on, you're going to give me mum advice now, I guess aren't you? the thing is, like, if you accidentally hit it and then you're in a hurry and your kids are stuck back there, like, it could be... Hit it again! I know, It's but... like the doors <laughs> being locked or unlocked. Yeah, but if you have a four-year-old, That's there's true. nothing worse than you pulling over on the freeway for a flat tire and the four-year-old opening that car That's door. That's true. That is true. When my kids were little, I think probably at one time, e- each of them opened the car. I'd be driving along and so... That is a horrible feeling. Uh, you got to pull over and fix uh, it. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, I uh, can't even. Don't. You're making me feel all nasty inside. I like the idea that, too, that the children can't open the back door if there's an oncoming vehicle. So it stops the car door being opened. If something's, if there's traffic coming on the yeah, side. Yeah, so they have that safety suite with, what, eight? Eight different safety features. Well, but those two are the ones that have never been seen before. Right. I mean, that so was some, really some interesting. Of them, so, so the new Jaguar I-Pace has a little light on the door handle in the rear doors. And so if there's oncoming traffic, it uses the sensors, the same sensors that you would use for the blind spot, to notice whether a car is coming or not. And it will flash in that door mm-hmm. that there's a car coming. This will actually not allow you to unlock the child locks, A. And then if the car door gets opened and there's a car coming... It will beep at you, letting you know, hey, doors being opened, oncoming traffic. So you can go, hey, Jonah, stop. Don't get out the back of the car. You know, save them from uh, walking into traffic. The safe exit assist. Yeah, it makes me feel so much better. Do you usually have a problem when you're getting out of the car, Nick? No, but I would be so uncomfortable if one of the kids was in the back of the car and then opened the door. Well, so, and it's interesting that it will... It'll stop them from opening the door. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. But it, it but a lot of their features take it to next level. Like instead of it just having an alert, the steering wheel will, like the, I know the rear traffic alert, instead yeah. of the alert, it'll break the car. Yeah. So. It has, uh, I like the idea that the car looks at something and goes, hey, you're not going to do this in time. I'm going to take over. However, I do often, just because of the way I drive, bit like a Formula One driver. Mm-hmm. The way I drive, when I overtake somebody, I'll it'll look like I'm going to hit the car in the back, but I know I'm just about to switch over to the lane. And quite often, those those Ford collision alerts in the cars I'm driving go, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> you're going to run into the back. But I'm not really, because I I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm not going to comment on your driving. Come on, bring it on. No, it's fine. Bring it on. No, nope, Just no because I don't drive like a grandma. <laughs> I do drive like a grandma. Yeah, see? <laughs> um, just saying sports car versus 19 to 2007 minivan, which is what you drive. Why would you bring that up? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you said to me many times, you want to drive it over the edge of a cliff? That's true. We're set it on fire, yeah. <laughs> you really want a new vehicle, don't you? I do, but I just don't want a car payment. So yeah. it's like, it's that catch 22, I guess. You've been looking at the Rogue quite a lot. I have looked at the Rogue a ton, and that's because their safety features take it even further. The lane keep assist will keep you in the lane. So if you have the cruise set, then you've got the adaptive cruise control. It'll keep you in the lane. And if your hands fall off the wheel for too long, say that you're having some sort of medical problem, it'll pulse the car to a stop. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing feature. Um it also does it now on the kicks, which I happen to be driving this week. Oh, in the leaf, yeah. Yeah, and they see you got you got it all going on. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about the cars we've been driving. Uh, we're going to discuss the uh, vehicles which have been driving around uh, PIR, the Portland International Raceway, as part of the Grand Prix. And Anton Wallman joining us. You're listening to our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles, along with Megan. We're here just to talk about cars until the sun goes down.
miles, and this is our auto expert. I do love to go fast. What about you, Megan? Sometimes. Uh, great uh, Grand Prix races taking place in Portland, Oregon. This, uh, you know, the first time in, in many years. And joining us on the phone is uh, Jerry Jensen. Jerry is the Grand Prix of Portland GM. Uh, so tell us about uh, the inaugural, I guess it's the, what would you call it? The return of racing to, to Portland, the return of the Grand Prix, Jerry? No. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what it was. You know, it's been 11 years since it's been here, and i got to tell you, you know, the last three days, we just had a, an amazing crowd, and today was packed. You know, we had a great race. It just wrapped up about a half hour ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, everybody's happy. You know, I spent uh, literally the last three days uh, rolling around, talking to people, talking to fans, and I've got to tell you, you know, the whole vibe is just, uh, how happy that everybody is to have uh, IndyCar racing back in Portland. So do you think it has a future of, of growth now? Uh, obviously, the fan base is there. I know that the uh, the stars turned out as well as the cars. Uh, Mario Andretti was down there. Uh, all of the, the big races uh, down at the races. Was it exactly what you'd hoped for and a good platform for growth? You know, you know, it was actually even more than we could have hoped for because, uh, you know, the attendance that we had, particularly even on Friday, was much more than we had uh, anticipated. And, you know, from a promoter's perspective, I mean, that's, that's the best situation, you know, that we could have. And um, the race was great. Uh, IndyCar people are so happy to be here, from the drivers and the team members to the owners and sponsors. You know, everybody's just ecstatic to be back in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, you know, the city um, as well. You know, I think that they were really, really impressed with the uh, numbers of people that they saw here at the event today. Um, not just Portland, uh, Portland people, but also um, the the fans who came from out of Portland, you know, from Seattle and uh, some other people from around the country. So, what's very uh, well received? What's yeah. the likelihood? Of, now, so how many races are there on the Grand Prix circuit? They have sixteen races, you know, throughout the season. Uh, one of them is a doubleheader, so technically there's seventeen that they do uh, in Detroit. But uh, so it's basically, you know, like a traveling circus that they do that begins uh, in late March in Florida and, and uh, you know, goes through with the Indy 500 in May and then another of uh, other races, including ours. And it wraps up in two weeks down in Sonoma, California. What's what's the likelihood of uh, uh, more races being added, more cities being added, uh, you know, uh, over the years? Is there some cities that have been waiting for these races to return that are likely to see themselves on the docket? You know, that's probably a better question, actually, for somebody with IndyCar, you know, since I'm more of a local uh, Portland promoter. But, um, sure, I mean, there's definitely demand, you know, from what I do hear from the cities. There are the markets that they'd, they'd like to be in. It is, uh, you know, it is a vetting process, though, you know, in terms of the, the tracks and the locations they go to. There's a number of metrics they look at, you know, from television viewership to what they consider to be IndyCar fans within a certain uh, – DMA, you know, a, a radius basically around a major metropolitan area that they know that they can draw from, and also the likelihood of a, uh, a prominent promoter with the capability actually to put on a successful race. So there's a lot of these elements that get factored in to where an IndyCar race will be, and, and you know, naturally the stars completely aligned with bringing this event back to Portland. 
There are more than just the IndyCar races, though. It's sort of a weekend of fun, qualifying, and different classes as well. Oh, no, yeah, it's been nonstop the whole weekend. We, we literally had nine races this weekend, including IndyCars. But, you know, there's also all the practice sessions. There's the qualification sessions. So, literally, I mean, it, it's been nonstop here every day from 8 to 8.15 in the morning to virtually 5 o'clock. You know, and we take basically a 10-minute break between each session. Um, but, no, it's, there's something on track virtually all the time. And I think that's, you know, that's what's unique about being at a road course like uh, Portland International Raceway. You know, there's always something going on. It gives you the opportunity to walk around the track, to sit at one place for a while, move to another place, come toward the paddock, and that sort of thing. And um, I think that's really a, a big success story. You know, not just for uh, our race here in Portland, you know, but for some of the other markets in Ohio and uh, um, Wisconsin and that, those sort of places as well. You know, F1 racing kind of priced uh, a lot of people out of the market. It's super expensive to get into. The rules were really strict. Uh, unless you had millions and millions of dollars, you were Ferrari or McLaren or those type of companies, you could really not uh, afford to be in the F1. But Indy's a little more relaxed, and you have a, sort of a wider breadth of, of competitors. No, you do, and, and that's a great way to put it. You know, it looks like Fernando Alonso, who is one of the biggest stars of Formula One. You know, he, he recently announced that he's not going to run Formula One next year. So the rumor is he's going to come to IndyCar, you know, just like Nigel Mansell did back in uh, 1993. You know, he, he was the former world champion, champion and came to IndyCar. Uh, you know, those guys are all racers at heart, and IndyCar gives them the best opportunity to actually race because the cars are very, very similar. You know, whereas in Formula One, Exactly what you said, Nick. You know, you've got Mercedes builds their own car, Ferrari builds their own car, Red Bull has their own car that they build. And, you know, if they come out with a bad car that year, they're not going to win, you know. And from a driver's perspective, it's pretty frustrating to know that you're going to spend the season basically, you know, maybe being able to finish in the top five at best. You know, where IndyCar, like today, we just had uh, – Takamasato just won today's race here in Portland, you know, and the, his last race win was the Indy 500 uh, last year. So, you know, it really levels up the playing here. You, you never know who's going to win, and that's what's so attractive to IndyCar, you know, not just from a fan perspective, but also a driver's perspective, is that everybody's got a shot to win. When I was in Italy recently uh, and uh, Sergio Marchioni was still alive, uh, the head of FCA, they just announced their Alfa Romeo partnership with Sabre, the, uh, the Swiss team, and they're getting back into Formula One. And the question was asked whether or not that would increase their presence in the United States because obviously their cars, Maseratis and Alfa Romeos are extremely important in the United States. Uh, were they getting back in Formula One to try and sort of increase the uh, the presence of Formula One in America? And Formula One has just not been able to make it here. Uh, you know, Sergio said he felt it was too much of a gentleman's sport for America. They wanted more nitty and gritty, I think. They wanted sort of the more blood, sweat and tears like NASCAR. So, so what uh, what the Grand Prix does and what IndyCar does is that is that finding this mark where Americans are sort of getting what they want, but it's not the sort of uh, the hoity-toity F1. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a great comment on it. You know, you know, IndyCar racing is affordable for everybody. You know, just like what we the way we've positioned our ticket pricing here. You know, we really encourage families and we encourage 
people to come on different days. You know, we offered uh, tickets for twenty dollars on yeah. Friday. You know, and you would never see that at a Formula One race. I mean, the prices the prices are one thing, but also the access. You know, with Formula One, I mean, the drivers are really kind of tucked away. You really can't get that close to them or engage with them. You know, whereas with IndyCar, you are. I mean, you know, for lack of a better term, it's always you know with IndyCar, you're basically in the locker room as it would be with, uh, you know, a baseball or football or soccer. You can literally get right up and close and personal with the drivers and teams. And that's something you certainly can't do with Formula One, um, you know, unless, like what you said, you're a major sponsor and you're spending a significant amount of money or if you want to buy into one of their clubs or that sort of thing. So, you know, IndyCar is much more fan-friendly. And, you know, the thing about up here in Portland is, you know, we don't have a NASCAR race. So, you know, we want to make this attractive for everybody, and, and we did. You know, we, we literally saw fans from all walks of life. You know, I, I saw a number of fans with NASCAR T-shirts on, Jeff Gordon shirts on from, you know, years ago. You know, but the other thing that was, I saw that was funny, Nick, was the number of T-shirts I saw from, like, the late 90s or early 2000s, you know, old Portland T-shirts, you know, that, that people <laughs> had brought out. And seriously, I mean, it was great. You know, and just the enthusiasm was priceless. It really was. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Of course, the IndyCar races, uh, Grand Prix back in Portland. Uh, Jerry Jensen is the uh, Portland GM of the uh, Grand Prix races and uh, vice president. Uh, thanks for joining us, and congratulations, Portland, on getting your races back. Still more to come. We're going to talk all business and find out how Tesla's doing, plus much more on our auto expert as we continue. on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. If you want to follow us 24-7, ourautoexpert.com, the website. We have uh, previous shows from the last year up there. You can uh, see videos uh, of us around the world test driving several different cars. And also follow the hashtag on Instagram, ourautoexpert. You can also keep track of all the cool stuff that we do. Uh, this is probably my favorite part of the show because we get in deep to business and we talk about the shenanigans that goes on with uh, car companies and uh, joining us on the phone is Anton Wallman he is an independent investor and 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 and, and oh, no, wait, I can't get the word out now analyst uh, analyst that's it um, Anton you um, have been watching the markets watching what some of the big companies are doing uh, Tesla decide not to go private oh well that was the end of that Looks like we lost Anton, unfortunately. We'll get him back in just a second. Uh, yeah, Tesla made the decision not to go private and uh, decided they wouldn't make that move, which means that uh, now they have to raise considerable amounts of capital, uh, which could be a huge problem for them because if they're raising huge amounts of capital... I was going to say, what's a considerable amount? Uh, a billion? Me, yes, pretty close. I think they're $8 billion in debt already uh, is the top number. And every car they lose, they end up... Uh, sell the... And the cars they lose, hope they lose any cars. Every car they end up selling, they end up losing about $23,000, which, uh, you know, is, is a tough amount of money to lose. Uh, so the more cars they sell, the more they lose. Now, they had to get up to around 5000 a week of the Model 3s. They say they have made that 
that, but uh, some latest evidence, as we're going to find out in a moment or so, shows that that may, that may not be the case and that they may have uh, actually lost uh, more money than that. So, Anton back with us. Uh, Anton, so Tesla decided not to go uh, private. That's right. In an about phase, Tesla, after having uh, tried to put the mayonnaise back in the tube, so to speak, <laughs> decided that it was simply not going to attempt to pursue a going private transaction. They uh, came up with some excuses as to why this could not be made to happen. They basically acknowledged that they hadn't really thought through the mechanical implications of trying to maintain their already public investors after having uh, gone private in the future, which you would have thought would have been a most basic requirement for something that you would need to investigate in great depth with bankers and lawyers and other experts in advance. But I think it really proves that they really had no plan to begin with. This was a very, very spurious spur of the moment by the chief executive officer that he blurted out in a tweet and uh, will now pay, be paying the price very dearly. So uh, this was, in some ways, the last chance for the company to be able to sort of resurrect themselves. Now they have to go out and find how much money? Well, uh, that is in dispute because the company says they have no need whatsoever to raise any more money. None whatsoever is <laughs> what the company says. Uh, almost everyone else who has looked at their cash needs for the next few months say that within three to six months, the company really has to go out and raise at least a billion or two in order to pay back the debts that are coming due in the coming months alone and to fund any other capital requirements, not just the losses associated with running the business, but also to pay for capital investments. Remember, Tesla is telling everybody that it intends to build all sorts of factories on multiple continents, including but not limited to China and Europe and more factories in the United States. So uh, each of these factories cost billions of dollars. And all the company will say is that in China, in this uh, wannabe factory in Shanghai, that it is planning that uh, they will get loans from local Chinese banks, but there is no verification as to uh, uh, whether that is actually happening or not. So I guess we could uh, ask the same question we asked uh, over the last few weeks, which is where is the evidence for quote-unquote funding secured even for that little bit. When you do an investigation and a financial analysis of a company like Tesla and you look at the viability, the likelihood of them keeping their head above water, as you peel back the different layers of the onion skin, you usually get more information, you find more out, and you're able to make an assessment. But in the case of Tesla, as we are peeling back every single piece of this onion skin, it's just more confusing. Yeah, I mean, first, you have two things going on. First, you have things that are legitimately extremely confusing, which are these so-called zero-emissions vehicle credits, ZEV credits. These are monies that Tesla get because they don't sell internal combustion engine cars, and other automakers 
uh, essentially have to pay them. And the formula for calculating that is extremely different, difficult. And when you talk to automakers, they themselves find themselves extremely confused in trying to figure out uh, what their uh, liabilities are going to be under that scheme. And then you have a more, and have a very different uh, meaningful disagreement uh, as to what really the basic margins are going to be like uh, for Tesla's future and current products. For example, just take the Model 3 that has just come out, of course, in the recent uh, year. And uh, Tesla has said that they're going to eventually get to 25% gross margins for this product and uh, so far the product has essentially has a, neg- has a negative gross margins and uh, if we are to believe that they're going to get somewhere close to a uh, you know 20 or 25 percent gross margin number then well is that really realistic and if so how soon and uh, you know there is you know the the people who are more bullish on the situation compared to the people who are more bearish on the situation will simply have a difference of opinion and we just simply have to wait until the financial results come out and reveal the true answer. Electric who have been Tesla supporters and I would say part of the ten Tesla fan club uh, leaked some Tesla production numbers uh, you know they have said they were on track for 50,000 Model 3 units um, for third quarter but it looks like uh, you know that is not going to happen and uh, there maybe some of their numbers are a little bit uh, fake uh, or have a, maybe let's say bolstered if we want to sort of say the, say the correct thing uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back from the break Anton I want to hang uh, have you hang here and I want to talk a little bit about those uh, those numbers that Tesla have been uh, or have leaked to uh, electric so that says all our auto expert continues the Tesla onion being peeled back to find out what the truth is of their production. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. Uh, that music's a little bit exciting for uh, for a Labor Day weekend. Uh, and so. Oh. Anton Warman, you see, we knew we were having problems with the phone. Uh, Anton Warman is here on the phone with us. We are talking about uh, Tesla. Megan, would you ever buy a Tesla? I would. And? You're a big fan? Well, I mean, I've never been in one, but I think I would buy one. You would? Yeah. Anton, are you with us? I think we probably ended all, up losing all Anton. All my friends so. that have bought them absolutely love them. And? You would shell out the... 50-something thousand, 60,000? No, 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 I would See, not. that's the problem. No. If I'm going to buy a $60,000 car, I'm going to want to buy something. A Volvo? Mm, a Jaguar. <laughs> I'd buy a Volvo, I think. Uh, you know, I'm partial to the British brands, and then I don't know why. There's a there's probably a reason for that. I mean, I do own uh, some British cars already, but I'm partial you know, to a truck. Maybe it's because I'm from Texas. <laughs> you like those big F-150s, don't you? I do, yeah. Um, it's funny because in the, the first segment when they were talking about if you bought a Raptor, you could take it to Utah. My friend mm-hmm. just bought a Raptor and he was, t- he was literally, I just had this conversation with him. He's so excited to go. To Utah. Yeah. 
Anton Woolman is back on the phone with us. He's the uh, financial analyst and independent investor. So uh, Electric leaked these uh, numbers. Now, they've uh, Anton, they have been in favor. They have kind of been the, uh, the supporters of Tesla, yet they leaked numbers that may show that they may not make their third quarter numbers. Is that correct? Yeah, sort of. So what they said was that at uh, the end of the second month here, the 31st of August, the company had produced... 34,700 units of the Model 3. Uh, depending on where the third month of the quarter goes, that would put them approximately on target, maybe, to hit the lower end of its Model 3 production guidance for the third quarter, which is 50,000 units. They had said 50 to 55,000. Now, production is one thing, but sales is another. Just because you produce, in this case, say 50,000 vehicles, doesn't mean that you will actually deliver 50,000 units. We've seen, by virtue of walking around to various Tesla uh, service and delivery centers, that there are many Model 3 units that are sitting there for, in many cases, well over a month, if not two or even three months, without being actually sold. They're sitting there literally collecting dust, and maybe they have some issue associated with them that is awaiting repair, God knows it could be anything. So, well, wait, isn't there? Wasn't there? There was five hundred thousand people, Anton, that wanted these cars when we first uh, saw the sales them go on sale for reservations. So, where are they? Fairness to Tesla, true, you're right. But keep in mind that some of them were for from outside North America. So, sales has yet to begun to say Europe and and Asia. And furthermore. Many of those reservations, many of those deposits may have been for people who were waiting for the lower-priced version of the vehicle, the one that was supposed to cost $35,000. The cheapest one you can buy right now is $50,000. It's $49,000 plus $1,000 mandatory delivery charge. So uh, the fact that the company is essentially filling up all of the orders that they have been able to uh, put together so far uh, is not the final word on demand, but the company has also said that thus far anyway, it cannot produce this thirty-five or $36,000 version at a profitable, um, you know, in a profitable situation. So basically they, um, uh, they just can't uh, afford to essentially produce that version right now. So that puts the company in a little bit of a bind. Well, uh, now, apparently, uh, Wall Street Journal is saying that Volkswagen considering investing in Tesla. Yeah, so as part of trying to explain away what went wrong in these going private talks, uh, something was leaked out to the effect that Volkswagen had expressed some interest in being part of a, go- of a group that would uh, help uh, fund Tesla in a transaction that would uh, take it private. Uh, Volkswagen never confirmed this. Uh, we could have had a situation where um, Tesla's advisors picked up the phone, called management of Volkswagen and said, hey, guys, are you interested in taking a look uh, if we are to start a due diligence process to uh, maybe consider a transaction? And somebody from Volkswagen might have said, yeah, sure, we'll take a look. Uh Send us the papers and uh, let us know a time when our team could be sent over and start going through their books. And, uh, you know, 24 hours later, bam, uh, transaction is going to happen. So we simply don't know how far those conversations got. Uh, it could have been as simple as saying, in theory, we're interested in uh, 
in doing something if the terms are right and our due diligence uh, uh, pans out. And uh, uh, so, so far, we, we don't know to what extent that it exaggerated the situation or not. It sounds like Ford are looking to lay off around 12% of their workforce. Is that correct? Well, that's our breaking news report here today that Ford looks to further trim its uh, worldwide headcount. And the latest moves seem to be centered on Europe. Uh, you know, Ford's business in Europe has sort of done okay from a couple of standpoints. They're actually doing very, very well in commercial vehicles, these small little panel vans, many of whom aren't really sold in the United States very much, but, you know, vans of various sizes and, and small pickup trucks. So, uh, but the problem is, is that, uh, on regular passenger cars, uh, Ford's business in Europe has been challenged, just like it has in the United States. Whereas, of course, Volkswagen continues to do very, very well in passenger cars. And there are clearly some synergies between the two companies on a multitude of fronts. And the companies are definitely talking to each other as to whether they will, uh, at a minimum, create joint development programs to spread the research and development cost and maybe even production cost across across a set of factories. So, you know, talks to that effect are definitely going on. The companies thus far have only said that they are uh, not looking into investing in each other, but rather that this, uh, these are just uh, uh, attempts at reducing the cost of development and production. But it looks like Many of these talks are centered around Europe, but once you start looking at some of these cars and how they're sold and developed across Europe, I mean, it's very easy then to start to extrapolate these things into the products that are sold in other geographies because many of these development costs are naturally shared across a multitude of products across all geographies. And uh, that looks like uh, those discussions look like they're really uh, uh, making headway at this point. Any of those 12% going to be United States jobs? We don't know. It doesn't look like that uh, at this point, but there are also rumors that Ford is going to reduce its activities in uh, South America, uh, which could have an impact. I mean, uh, American companies aren't really doing any business in Venezuela anymore. That turned out to be a huge disaster there, and many other countries down there are having some problems. So we could certainly see that there could be actions taken to that effect. But this latest report that had just come out hours ago really focused on Europe for now. Uh, it would be a, quite a blow to uh, Donald Trump's government if uh, there were uh, U.S. layoffs, especially after he's trying to increase the number of jobs in America for car companies. Let's talk about uh, good things that are happening. Hyundai Kona, that's getting ready, the EV version of that, getting ready for delivery in the next couple of weeks. That's right. So the deliveries are just beginning in at least one country in Europe, in Norway, which is, of course, the country in Europe that has the highest penetration of electric cars anywhere on the European continent and almost anywhere in the world. And uh, the preliminary number that we're just getting our hands on now over the weekend suggests that they had sold uh, like 268 units in the last few days in um, in Norway, which would be more than all of Tesla's sales in Norway for the Model S and X combined in Norway for the entire month. So... Uh, maybe that's a low bar, but the, uh, the Hyundai Kona is off to a very good start. They received in Norway alone 20,000 units of interest, and they started going down the list and taking orders. And when they got to 7,000, they just stopped and said, wait a minute, 
there's going to take us till June of 2020 to at units allocated to deliver to the to the Norwegian market. So we're not even going to take any more orders. Bye bye, people. You first seven thousand, you'll get your cars between now and June of 2020. But that's it for now, and we'll call you back in uh, in a future universe. Has uh, we- Hyundai always been popular over there? Yeah. No, they have. I mean, Hyundai's done okay, but this model is so very well tailored to the European electric car customer. It's a bit of a crossover. It's not too large. It's been certified on the U.S. EPA cycle for 258 miles of range. Goes on sale in Europe. Uh, sorry, in uh, California, probably in the middle of November, and uh, you know it will be sold in the states in the United States where laws require you to sell a certain percentage of your fleet as electric cars, lest you be hit by uh, very hefty fines. So uh, it'll come here very soon. It'll be here in uh, less than three months. But Norway is first, and we'll see them in a handful of other European countries here over the next uh, few months. Holland, for example, which is a major incentive for buyers to take delivery of electric cars before the end of this calendar year, after which the, the subsidies in Holland are being go- going to be reduced very significantly. So Norway first and Holland, and you'll see very, very soon the sales statistics to go through the roof for the Hyundai Kona EV in uh, those handful of countries in Europe to begin with. In the last 30 seconds, tell us about the new Mercedes electric and the new Audi that's going to be announced this month. These are two major launches on the Tuesday, the 4th of September. Mercedes has the global debut of its full electric car, very attractive crossover called the EQC, sort of like the current GLC, but all electric. And then a couple of weeks after, on the 17th of September, Audi has the full reveal of its electric car, electric car called the e-tron. It's, think of it as like an Audi Q5, but it's all electric and it's a from the ground up design. Very exciting products that will be priced somewhere between six to five and eighty thousand uh, dollars. And uh, I think those will be very, very well received and get a lot of attention here in the coming uh, few days and weeks. Anton Wallman, independent investor and analyst, uh, a great guy to have on the show, knows way more than I. In fact, the whole show this week, Megan, is about people that have no more than me, which is pretty much everybody out there. I feel very insignificant. Jason Fensky for Engineering Explained, clever clogs that he is. Anton Wallman, clever clogs that he is. Everybody knows more about cars than me. It should be called Them and Nick Miles Show. Uh, our auto expert, uh, we will be here 24 seven. Um, you can go to our Instagram account. Megan's going to start posting on there too. Some pictures of you and cars, Megan. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our auto expert is the Instagram account. You can find the website, which is our auto expert as well. We, uh, also have the hashtag you can follow our auto expert. And of course, you can listen to all the previous shows, uh, online at uh, our auto expert. Uh, Brandon will have today's show up on online and you'll be able to listen to that. Um, you'll also be able to find out uh, about upcoming trips that we'll be making and see some of the videos that we've done for TV in test driving cars all over the world. Uh, you're test driving the RAV4 right now. I am. I'm in the adventure trim level. How's that, how's that going? It's pretty good. I haven't tried to tow with it yet, but it can tow. All right. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll find out about that next week. All right. Our Auto Expert, 24-7 at ourautoexpert.com. My name is Nick Miles, and thank you for listening to the show.